On August 28, 2014, a young girl disappears from her London home. She is found just over a month later murdered. A suspect suicide and a lost file briefing follow. But no one knows what really happened. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Alice Gross. now three weeks since Alice went missing and I want to thank the public for all the help they've given us so far but I need more. It is that as a consequence of that that we're issuing a 20,000 up to 20,000 pounds reward for information that will assist us in finding Alice. Today also I I am uh, announcing that uh, Arnis Zalkins is being uh, uh, circulated as a suspect for the disappearance of Alice Gross. We know that on the 28th of August, when Alice went missing, uh, he was on the towpath on a pedal cycle about 15 minutes behind. Do you know where Arnis Zalkins is today? Please contact us. We need to find him. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement. Somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, Coachy, I see where we had a five-star review that we both did not see until I don't even know how I found it. I don't know where the picture of it is. I found it. If you want me to read it. Yes, that would be lovely, Coach. I would love for you to do that. On (laughs) 7-9-22 that we missed, we got a five-star review called Beer Talk and Mystery Talk. Great podcast, doesn't take the subject matter too seriously. It's like being out with your friends and they tell you a story that they just read about and in a beer haze, (laughs) you try to figure out what happened. Great talk on different beers they try every week. That is awesome. Thank you so much for your wonderful review. And ladies and gentlemen, whether or not you think it does, it really does help us when you leave us five-star reviews. That kind of helps the algorithm out, what gets our name Bumped up a little bit higher and a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And that was from a T-Wish 71 from Ireland. Ireland, yes, yes. We're getting some followers over there in the, the Isles and of Great Britain. And so uh, that well, is... Got, one, if they want to pay for a live show, we can come do one. That's right. Y'all pay for the plane ticket. You name the pub. We're there. We're doing lives. We'll try to hit every pub in, in the UK. Our livers may not make it, but we will. So we wanted to also shout out a welcome back patron, Miss Joyce Brandon. Uh, hey, all right. And She's then, one of our first. Yes. And she was very open and forthcoming about why she had to drop out for a couple of months, which we totally understand. Like I always say on our socials, we understand that times are tough and we really appreciate every patron that we have. We also wanted to welcome in Dana Smith. Thank you, Dana. Since we had our review from Across the Pond, we are doing a case tonight from Across the Pond. And that is the case of Alice Poppy Madeline Gross, who just happened to be born in London on 14th of February 2000. 
She lived in Hanwell, West London with her parents, Jose Gross and Rosalind Hodgkiss, and her sister, Nina Gross. Alice was a creative teen who enjoyed painting and music. She played the piano and violin and would often write songs. She had a great relationship with her family, and all of her friends loved her. When Alice turned 14, she was diagnosed with anorexia and depression. Her parents, being proactive, sought treatment for Alice, and it appeared to be making a difference in her life. On the 28th of August of 2014, 14-year-old Alice left her house around 3 p.m. for a walk, telling her parents that she would return home by 6 p.m. True to her word, she texted her parents after some time, letting them know she was heading home. By 7, there was still no sign of her. Worried, her parents kept trying her phone but could not get in contact with her. Immediately, they report her as missing to the police. The Bobbies. And the search for her begins immediately. And it was going to be one of the largest searches in London history. Yes, it was even bigger than the, what was it, the... 2005 bombing. So Detective Superintendent Carl Maida was appointed to investigate the case. Now, Alice was seen on CCTV carrying her backpack walking past Hanwell Railway Station and Ealing Hospital before joining the Grand Union towpath. Investigators determined that Alice had sent the text to her father saying she would be home by 6 p.m. at 4.26 p.m., just as CCTV cameras show her on the canal path. Alice's cell last connects to a tower at 4.28 p.m., and at 5.11 p.m., it disconnects completely from the cell grid. The footage of Alice on the CCTV at 4.26 p.m. would be the last time she is seen. Despite the cell data and the CCTV footage and an extensive search effort, a month would pass with no sign of Alice. Now, this case, like Coach said, was the largest media coverage since the London bombings. There's going to be over 600 officers involved from eight different, I don't know if it's precincts or just areas. I, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, 600 officers involved in the search. Now, Alice's mom would go on TV pleading for Alice to return home. Quote, we love you. We miss you. We want you to know if you are safe and we want you to come home. End quote. With the investigation at a standstill, Detectives hand the case over to Scotland Yard's Homicide and Major Crime Squad. The hashtag Find Alice went viral on all social media platforms. Missing posters were placed along Alice's last known route, along with just about everywhere around Hanwell. On the 4th of September, police find a backpack near the River Brent. It was Alice's. It contained her belongings, including the shoes she was wearing, according to the CCTV footage from her, the day she disappeared. And what puzzled investigators was that her cell phone was missing from the backpack. The authorities released the CCTV footage of Alice in hopes that an eyewitness from that day would come forward saying they had seen her. Did they ever find her cell phone? I'm not I sure. I don't think they did. A massive search that included like Coach had alluded to, 600 officers and hundreds upon hundreds of volunteers began the same day the footage was released. A reward of 20,000 pounds was offered for whoever provided evidence for the case. While Alice's case was being handled as a missing teen, investigators also had to consider the possibility of suicide considering Alice's past. 
While it was considered, authorities did not put much weight into the suicide theory, strictly based on the fact that if she had committed suicide, her body would have been found by now. Yeah, she wasn't. I mean, and she wasn't depressed. I mean, she was dealing with her stuff, but she gave no indication that that was a possibility at all. No, none. If she had drowned herself in the river, the body would have been floating after a few days, but this was not the case. Police were trying everything they know or knew to do. They even searched the missing persons database for the area. When they do, that is when a man named Arnis Zalkons was also found to be missing. He was a... Oh, I, you know I killed it. I mean... I mean. You are a cunning linguist, sir. Yes, we discuss this every week. I don't know why you even I don't even know why you question my my Well it's like it's like the only joke I have left. <laughs> you know? I go without sleep for several days. I can't really function as a human being anymore, so I just go back to the oldies but goldies. There you go. So what you know. We're not going to uh probably refer to him by his last name anymore because that was such a spot on pronunciation. Yeah, you don't need to do it again. They'll remember. Yeah, they will. <laughs> so Arnis was a 41-year-old Latvian man who was a builder by profession. He had been reported missing by a co-worker when he did not come to work. When police start looking back over the CCTV footage of Alice, they see Arnis riding his bike after work around 4 p.m. the day Alice went missing. The footage shows Arnis leaving his co-worker near Brentford Lock, and he continued along the Grand Union towpath, the same route as Alice. Based on the speed he was traveling, police believe he would have encountered Alice at around 4.10 p.m. near Gallows Bridge. Now, CCTV shows Arnis did not continue on the towpath and must have stopped for around 80 minutes. Arnis does not appear again on CCTV until 5.49 p.m. when he emerges from the canal towpath and onto Uxbridge Road. It is at this time he is seen hopping onto his bike and cycling away from the camera's field of view. So a detective decides, hey, let's just look into Arnis and see what is going on. Just for the fuck of it. That's right. And so they do, and they look into his property in Ealing, West London. While doing the initial investigation inquiry, the detective finds that Arnis had a criminal history and not a petty one either. He had bludgeoned his wife, Rudite Zalkons, to death with a scaffold pole in a deserted forest before stabbing her through the chest. And why is he free riding a bike down the road? That's the million dollar question. It's like, hey man, you get one. No more though. Or we're going to have to punish you, sir. So Arnis then pushes his wife's body into a grave that he had previously dug, covering her with soil and leaves. Then he toasts her murder by drinking an entire bottle of vodka. So completely premeditated. Completely. Executed. Celebrated. But he's a free man. Yep. Everybody makes fun of our judicial system. I mean, okay. (laughs) I mean... I can get behind that, I guess. I mean, I'm sure he felt remorse afterwards, and he was duly punished. I bet he punished himself. Yeah, you know? he was probably no, real no tough reason, on himself. No reason for him to be in jail. No. Now, he would wind up serving a total of seven years for murder in a Latvian prison, so I guess that's the base 
or maximum. I don't know. Latvian prisons must be, you know, not very good. If you can survive seven years, I guess I'm they're sure like they're pretty harsh. I would imagine that they're not pleasant, but yeah. still, seven years for murder, just not enough for me. It's a little lacking on my side. Just call me crazy. So the UK authorities state that they had zero knowledge of this conviction when he entered Britain around 2007. Arnest was arrested in 2009, suspected of carrying out a sex attack on a 14-year-old girl in West London, and he was questioned but never charged because the victim refused to give evidence. The man also had other convictions, including being responsible for spreading a sexual disease. So we're talking a grade A piece of shit here. They can charge you for spreading a sexual disease? I mean, I guess he knew he had it. That I think that's what I read was that he knew. I know that they in the U.S., and I know we're not talking about the U.S., but I know in the U.S. that if you know you are HIV positive and you have unprotected sex and someone contracts it, they can charge you with, I want to say, like, premeditated murder, but, Gee. you know, magic's still walking around, so I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, but he's happily married. Yeah, and he's got lots of money. That helps. Yeah, South Park proved that, that if you had lots of money, HIV does not affect you. That's right. <laughs> oh. The CCTV footage shows that over the next 30 hours, Arnis returns to the path four separate times. The first one was around 7 p.m. on the same evening that Miss Alice disappears. He then cycles to the scene, but this time he's riding a different bike. So we've got returning to the area where she's no longer seen around 7 p.m. the same evening she disappears on a different bike spending nearly an hour around where she disappears, and then they catch him on CCTV heading out of sight. Now, investigators would scour the route where Arnis was last seen, and from another CCTV camera, they see that he stopped at a corner shop in West Ealing where he is seen smiling and laughing and buying two cans of lager. Arnis's movements are tracked several more times on CCTV during the evening. Just after 9 p.m., he is captured on camera having made several purchases at a Lytle on Uxbridge Road. One thing that authorities notice is that he has changed his shirt from one which was beige to another which is a darker blue. The next morning, on August the 29th of 2014, Arnis again returns to the footpath running alongside the River Brent. He was on his way to a new work site in West Drayton. He goes down onto the towpath and around an hour later catches a train from South Hall train station. But for a significant amount of time, he was in the area where Alice went missing. Around 9 p.m., Arnis visits the footpath for the fourth time and returns to his home by 11 p.m. So within 24 hours, he's gone back to what, authorities and what we can assume is the scene of the crime. Now, fast forward to September the 7th, and police divers searched the Grand Union Canal for clues to Alice's disappearance, and a, quote, sniffer dog is brought in to help scour an expanded search area. 
On September the 29th, authorities moved their search to a national trust-owned estate near where Alice was last seen. Scotland Yard officers combed Osterley Park in West London looking for clues to Alice's disappearance. Now, the park is about 3.2 kilometers or two miles from the spot near Grand Union Canal where Alice was last seen. The RAF has been drafted in to the investigation and provided an, quote, aerial analysis to locate areas that should be searched. So when we talk about a lot of authorities and all the manpower they could muster trying to find this young lady, we're not lying if the Royal Air Force is involved. On the 30th of September, authorities would discover a body near the Grand Union Canal. Unfortunately, it was Alice. Her dead body was in a terrible condition, fully naked with just a sock on. It had been wrapped in trash bags and tied to a bicycle wheel with bricks. Coroner's officer John Chadwick stated that Alice had been identified through dental records. Initial post-mortem results on Alice were inconclusive and struggling to definitively find her cause of death due to the state of decomp and the length of time her body had been in the water. After further tests, the coroner concluded Alice had died from, quote, compression asphyxia in an attack believed to have been sexually motivated. Now, toxicology reports indicated that Alice did have, quote, above normal traces of GHB in her system. Which is not good. That's enough to knock you out. After four days, the police found Arnis. But unfortunately, when they find him, he is in no condition to speak on his ties to Alice's death. And why is that? Police what could have possibly kept him from talking? Police would state that, quote, a badly decomposed body was found in Woodland in Boston Manor Park near Hanwell. It was found about a 20-minute walk away from where Alice's body was found. Following a post-mortem examination... Police said the cause of Mr. Arnis's death was consistent with hanging, adding there was no evidence of any third-party involvement, end quote. But did they find a rope? Did they? When I read my, my uh, research, it didn't say they found any murder weapon or suicide weapon. No, that's what I was wondering. I don't, surely if they're saying that he hung himself, the article I read stated that where they were at, they had done a cursory search of that area, but where his body was located was kind of like a, I guess a heavily grown up area within the park that was kind of hard. I would say it was full of briars and bullshit if we were in the South. And they were probably, when they were searching, it was like, nah, fuck that. And the dogs didn't alert to it, so that's probably why they didn't go in there. I think they call them brambles in England. They don't call them briars. I could be completely wrong. Well, we can go with brambles and bullshit across the pond then. Correct me if I'm wrong if you're from across the pond. but A cigarette butt from Alice's crime scene was tied to Arnis through DNA testing. The case against Arnis for the murder of Alice Gross was circumstantial. There was no forensic evidence linking him to Alice's murder or any witnesses who could place him with Alice. There was, however, a strong enough case that the Crown Prosecution Service reported that had Arnis lived he would have been charged with murder and faced the Crown Court. In a post-mortem inquest, the head detective, Chalmers, also told 
how he believed Alice's body had been concealed in nearby bushes overnight while Arnest came up with a system to weight her down in the river. He stole the plastic bags from the building site he was working on in West Drayton, taking the last few bags on a roll. Chalmers would go on to tell the court that the empty roll had been, quote, speculatively seized, end quote, during a search of his place of work even before Alice's body had been found. The area offered someone the opportunity to take someone out of view, out of the eyes of the public, and into the undergrowth, he would say. He goes on to state he might have killed her while trying to subdue her and keep her quiet, thus compression asphyxia. He states, I think he hid her body in the undergrowth. I believe he returned that evening, and that's when she was hidden in the water. I have no proof of that, but that seems a likely conclusion. He went down the following morning, probably smoking the cigarette that was found on the bank, and realized he was going to have to take greater measures to conceal her. Chalmers would say that in one CCTV clip of Arnest in the days after the killing, his T-shirt seems to be soaking wet. Arnest returned to the scene at least three times in the days after Alice's death, like we had documented, and Chalmers said the sight of the police cordon may have precipitated in his suicide, knowing that he could not get back to the area to scour it for clues or hide things that he may have left. Quote, when he lost control of the deposition site along the Grand Union Canal, he saw a lot of police activity, and he must have come to the conclusion that if we hadn't already found Alice, we soon would find her, he said. He added that Alice's death had been an opportunistic, unforeseen event. I didn't know what his motivation was, but I suspect there must have been a sexual driver. Whether he intended to murder her or not, in result was her death. I believe the efforts he took to hide her body, he clearly did not intend her to be found. Now, Alice's family has been determined to make sure that policies are changed and that this sort of error in allowing convicted murderers into the UK is changed. Ms. Hodgkiss, dressed in a navy blouse with white polka dots, told the court her daughter was an aspiring singer-songwriter and a talented student. She added, quote, It is impossible for us to convey the devastation to the family by Alice's death. She goes on to state, quote, There are a lot of unanswered questions, and we will likely never get to the bottom of what happened that day. We want to reiterate that the reason for these questions is that we can establish or not the systems for monitoring foreign offenders and cross-border sharing of information are robust. We appreciate that they may have changed significantly, but we remain stunned that a foreign national convicted for murder in his own country was not monitored or not even known about in any way. This has destroyed much of our faith in our country's ability to protect its citizens. The Home Office and the police forces nationwide should be doing everything to ensure this should not be allowed to happen again, end quote. Very well said, very well articulated. I would have been a babbling mess and screaming profanities every other word. But I'm an uncouth southerner. That's, that is one truth you've told tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, the Gross family was represented 
by Liberty, which is an independent organization in support of fundamental rights and freedoms in the UK. They supported the family to push for the inquest into Alice's death to address the wider issues involved, highlighting that British nationals who commit violent crimes are monitored and supervised after their release from prison. However, these rules did not apply for foreign nationals who entered the UK to live and have prior conviction pertaining to violence and sexual offenses. The Gross family are in support of stricter procedures for checking the criminal history of serious and dangerous offenders who are foreign nationals, but emphasize they strongly supported freedom of movement and did not want their daughter's case to be used in any form of anti-immigrant standpoint. Quote, we do not believe that any citizen deserves to be treated differently based on their race or nationality. They called for, quote, careful targeted reforms to address the inadequacies of cross-border information of high-risk offenders. Now, Alice's father, Jose Gross, stated, quote, Our only concern has been to ensure that there are fair and proportionate rules governing the movement of serious criminals within Europe, whether that is a Latvian coming to the U.K. or a dangerous U.K. citizen traveling abroad. I have felt the need to find out as much as I can about how it is possible that she could have been killed in such a horrific way and try and change things so that it does not happen to anyone else, end quote. And unfortunately, in my research, I believe they have pushed something through Parliament, but I am not sure that it has become law. I know that this case brought a huge spotlight to the loopholes in the law. I don't know if the laws were actually ever changed. Well, I mean, if there's any good from it, it's that. I That's, mean, it's horrible to say something good came out of a murder, but. And what's even scarier in, you know, listening to her mother's statement, well, I'm sorry, listening to the head detective in charge was basically. Unfortunately, she was at the wrong place at the wrong time when he happened to just pedal by. If she had been a minute or two earlier or a minute or two late, she would have never seen him. And that, I think, is what's terrifying, is that as a parent, no matter what they did to make sure that she was very aware of her surroundings, she was texting, they were proactive on her anorexia and the depression, they did everything in their powers, and they still could not protect their girl. So, I mean, it's it's just, it's so, it's crazy that that, you know, one in a million chance happened to the Gross family. And our hearts and, and prayers go out to them. Unfortunately, that was kind of the end of all the information. It kind of just dissipated from all of the media over there. And like I stated, I could not find whether or not they had brought forth changes in the law. So if you are from the UK or to the surrounding areas, please let us know on our socials or email us at mysteriousbrews at gmail.com and let us know. So while it's not technically solved, we, I think 99.9% .9 of us know that that piece of shit is probably responsible. Yeah, but I mean, it's still the mystery of the the missing. Um, uh, shit, I forgot the word. What's the word? Cell phone. No, the yeah that and the missing. I didn't, how would I forget cell phone? I don't know, but you did. The missing inquest. 
Yeah, the missing inquest. That's right. The file a- had been left. What was it? Was it left on a... I may be getting two cases confused. Was it left on a commuter train? I have no. I think it was taken. I think it came up missing from the the police office. Okay. I mean, where? Why else? Where else would it be? We have. I have another case that happened in Germany, and I I cannot remember whether or not I'm confusing her case file going missing with Alice's case file, or vice versa. On the 26th of July, 2015, it was reported that a 30-page document relating to the case had been lost after a West London coroner. That's right. That's Yes, it was her case. Yes. Left it on a fucking commuter train. That's right. And I left that out of my notes. Yeah, and they don't know why he took the whole fucking file out of the, the office. Why would he need the entire police file? That was well, the... He was forced to resign. Oh... They didn't yeah. beat the shit out of him. Cause... I mean, <laughs> if you lose a, if you lose that kind of document, yeah, you probably should not be working there. Yeah, I remember reading that. I don't know why I didn't put that in my notes, but yes, yes, that dumbass got on a commuter train and just left the motherfucker sitting next to him when he got up and walked off. I just don't get it. Some people, you know, poor baby had to resign because if I was Jose, her father, I would have. Uh, as they say in South Alabama, I'd have stomped a mud hole in his ass and I walked it dry. There's not a damn thing that I could do that I can't do in lower Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't nothing you or those pussies at the EPA can do a damn thing about it. <laughs> I guess I got to tell that story. Cause... Oh. <laughs> We worked with this unique gentleman. Unique we is uh, you, I, there's not a word to to describe how unique. And I'm on my mandatory planning period, and he literally comes into my room to fart <laughs> every day. Almost every day, he his classroom was right next to mine. He'd come into my classroom when there were no students and just cut a nasty wet fart. <laughs> And walk, not even say anything to me, just walk right back out to his room. But he came up to me the last day, and he said, Coach, he said, this summer, I got this tree stump in my backyard, and I'm going to take a tar and a gallon full of gas, and I'm going to burn it out. And there's nothing you or the pussies at the EPA can do about it. Like, I'm like, okay, random, I'm... Literally speechless because it was like there was no nothing, no buildup. It's not like you sought him out previous to that. That's just what he said. He just came in my room and was like, said what he said. This is also the same man. I don't know if I've told this story, but he had an owl around his house (laughs) and he had a cat that he adored and the cat went missing and the owl. He assumed, or he had good reason to assume that... Well, the owl just looked very full. Yeah, and the cat was missing. So, he had recounted said tale and was pissed for quite a while. And so, he happens to tell this story about the owl and the cat to one of our science teachers, whose wife sometimes substituted at the school. 
Same man sitting there eating his lunch, minding his own business. And she proceeds to ask him, so, coach, I hear that you think an owl took your cat away. And he goes, yes, ma'am, I sure do. And she said, what are your plans about trying to make sure he doesn't get any other cats in the area? He said, well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to shoot that son of a bitch when I get a chance. And she, like, stammers over her words and says, uh, Coach, you can't do that. And he he says, quote, "Uh, Sweetheart, last time I checked, they wasn't fucking bulletproof. (laughs) 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 They had a point. He has great points. Don't ever try to get one by him because he is, despite how he talks, he is a very smart man. Very smart man. Graduated from the University of Alabama in 78. But anyway, we could sit here for another 30 minutes and, and tell those stories. But uh, There's not a thing on earth that I want to do that I can't do in lower Alabama. Well, son, you know why they call it the Plains? It's because Auburn's horrible. It's a cow college. (laughs) 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 All right, so I know that I have recommended this in the past, but I wound up finishing the terminal list. Uh, I'm putting it right behind Justified now with my top series. I hope it gets renewed. It is very well written. It is suspenseful. It is a total screw-with-your-mind series. Um. I highly, highly recommend it. We had some listeners reach out and say that they liked the old terminal list too. And um, so, again, I know I've kind of double dipped on my recommendation, but I can't. There's not what? been a series since Justified that I liked. And and I'll double down with the old man's running a close third. I was, about to say, I was going to bring up the old man. I was like, you were touting that one up pretty big. I think the reason I like the old man is because – it's it's a character that John Lithgow I couldn't see anybody else play it, but he's so he I guess he just plays that character so well you know and then of course Mr. Bridges does a phenomenal job of just acting like he's just a shuffling old man with you know had fallen and hurt himself but anyway yes, Bridges just good he no is what. he it really don't matter is. what he's in he could be in the Marlboro commercial if they still made him speaking of which did you know the first Marlboro man TV ad was Tom Selleck. I did not know that. Now you do. And knowing is half the battle. I I, lo- I love learning random facts that are not going to be useful in any way. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. Unless I do trivia somewhere. All right, Coach, what's your recommendation? Well, since you brought up Jeff Bridges, if for some reason you have never watched the movie The Big Lebowski, go out of your way. Stop. Good Lord, it's my favorite movie of all time. Stop what you're doing now and go watch it. And then yeah, drink find it, watch it, and laugh your ass off. John Goodman in that movie, classic. So all that's right. my recommendation. Well, Coach, you got anything else? Brother, you know I never do. Uh, deuces. <laughs>